Welcome to the Crux Podcast and Sermon of the Week. For more information about the Crux Ministries and Summit Church, please visit us at summitsanmarcos.com. like starstruck the whole time like wow there's so many awesome people you know it was so cool right and summit got to lead worship and they blew it up and they saw how many guys know bethel music yeah yeah there was bethel music cd and then summit cd next to it and i took a little photo i'm like oh my goodness this is so great (laughs) right so anyway i was like a kid in the candy store running around there it was so awesome um but the week before that um who knows what we talked about the week before building character. It was kind of a harder message. It was kind of a punch in the gut a little bit, right? Um, but, it was, but it was good, right? Hopefully it came out in love, right? We brought out the whiteboard and we talked about the importance of character. So tonight, uh, we, I kind of realized, you know, this isn't just one message. I think God, the next couple of weeks, is going to take us deep into character. Because I, I believe, I fully want the Holy Spirit healing signs, wonders. I want that part of God. It's amazing, right? How many of you like that stuff? So cool. But I want the character, the integrity, right? I want, I want the, the structure of God, too, that where he, he, he keeps the, the picture I got was a fire inside of a fireplace. And he says, this will burn hotter, longer, brighter if you have something to sustain it. And he said that, that the, the, your character is that fireplace that keeps the gifts of God, the fire of God alive inside of you, right? And so he really said, go after character for a couple weeks. So we're kind of starting this little series on character, all right? You guys stoked for that? All right, you know, I was hoping for a little more stoke, but that's cool. That's all right. All right, there. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So tonight, we're talking about passion. Passion does not seem like a character thing, right? Usually when you think of passion, you think of someone who's super, like, emotional, right? They're super passionate about something, right? How many of you guys say that you have a, you've had a passion in your life, whether it's a hobby or whether it's, like, certain music or certain things, you're just passionate about something. Is anyone in here who's like, no, I've never been passionate about anything in my life? All right. We should talk. <laughs> All right. God's going to get you passionate about something, okay? Um, but first, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what it means to have it as a character trait. It's not a personality trait. It's not um, a, uh, just something that a certain like extrovert or introvert kind of a thing has. It's not something that people who are so far mature in the Lord have. I really believe that it's a character trait that God wants to build inside of his church, okay? So, but first off, how many of you guys, um, how many of you guys just straight up like fire? Fire. I, I played around with fire as a kid. Uh, one time, one time, uh, my my friend's parents, uh, they said they got my brother and I and my friend, and there's a bunch of moss on the sidewalk. They said, hey, if you clean all the moss off, we'll take you to Toys R Us and buy you a gift. And we're like, done. We got this. The parents left, and we just took lighter fluid and just poured it on the sidewalk and just lit the whole sidewalk on fire, <laughs> right? Burned off all the moss. And then we just hosed down all the ashes afterwards, right? We were, it was kind of dangerous. So we started doing our initials with it and burning it, okay? And then there's a moment where I lit the fire as he was holding the can and it started to come up towards it. And then he just threw the can, <laughs> right? It was terrifying. That's when we kind of stopped. But I have a lot of run-ins with fire. I just love fire. I think it's awesome. It's mesmerizing. Have you guys ever sat at a campfire and you're just like, watching it like what are you you know like have you ever have you ever had that you're like you're not 
I can't touch you, but you hurt me. Like, how, what are you? You know, like, right? No, no one's ever had that? You mesmerized by fire? Okay, so question, how do you get fire? Can you just go buy it? Can you go to Walmart and be like, hey, how much is the fire today? No? Can you like haggle for it? You know, like I'll give you $2 for fire. No? Can you borrow it from somebody? Hey, can you give me your fire? Kind of. They can give you a stick that's like on fire and it can light your fire maybe, you know, right? Okay, so you have to build it, right? You have to use something else to start the fire. Okay, how do you keep a fire going? Can you just buy more of it? Fire's going down. Have you guys ever been to campfire and the fire's going down? And then you're, someone's like, put on another log, you know, and they throw another log. Or they're like, oh, we're out of firewood. I, we ran out of firewood once, so we just started throwing things in the fire to, to keep it going. We threw a glow stick in there once. They explode, by the way, if you do that, so don't do that. Uh, we, threw, we threw styrofoam in there that... Turns out it's poisonous, so don't do that either. We, we really, we, we did a lot of things to try to feel the fire and keep it going, okay? Um, so you cannot buy more. You cannot borrow more. You have to keep putting fuel, the right kind of fuel, okay, into the fire to keep it burning. Does that sound right? Okay, imagine this. Imagine if I'm camping. Imagine if, uh, picture your favorite camp place. Really the only places I've been to are the ones where you're like, great outdoors, and then there's like an RV right next to you, and there's a bunch of slots, you know, you know those campgrounds, and that you can see their their fire pits right next to you. So imagine that. Imagine uh, I'm sitting there, and I come up to you, and you notice that my fire pit went out. I have no more, no more fire, okay? And I just come up to you, and I'm just all sad. Hey, what's up, buddy? What's wrong? You know? My fire's gone, right? And then, oh, well, that's fine. I mean, did you run out of wood? No, wood's not the problem. I just, my fire is just gone. Well, what? Do you need help? You want us to help you start again? No, it's, it's not about that. It's just the fire's gone, right? And I'm just all sad. And they say, well, hey, you know, you could probably start it up again. I'm like, no, no, I'm just, I guess I'm just not meant to have fire. You know, some people, they just get all the fire. You're so blessed. You have so much fire. Right? Yeah, you can't even, like, you can't even picture it without laughing. Right? You know, oh, no, I just, it's just, I guess it's just my season of fire's over. I guess it's just gone. You know? And you're just like, oh, you know, yeah. Oh, you're lucky, bro. You got all fire. And then, and then they come, to, they say, hey, you know what? Why don't we help you? Do this. No, I don't need help. I don't need help. If I'm meant to have fire, you know, maybe it'll come back one day. You know, maybe the fire will return one day. I remember what it was like to have fire. It was so warm. I'm so cold now. But I remember what it was like back in the good old golden days of fire, right? And you're like, you're like, this is a weird encounter right here. Like, you know, the, and then basically they say, you know what, you really, if you want it, you need to take some wood and put it in the pit and light it on fire. And I'm like, don't tell me how to live my life. <laughs> right? Like, look, look, if I was meant to have fire, it'll just come back, okay? Right? You would think I'm literally insane. You would think I have completely lost it, okay? Be, and you'd say like, what? What's wrong with you? There'd be a point where you would probably start scolding me or walk away. But if you were to scold me, you'd probably say something like, you don't buy fire, you have to make it, okay? You don't, you don't, you don't purchase it, you don't just, some people just have it and some people just don't have it. Like, that's not true. You, you have to, the best you can do is buy things to help you start a fire. And once you get a fire, you have to keep doing things to keep it burning, Right? 
right? You can't just, you can run off of somebody else's fire for a little while. Someone can come up and ignite my, my log there and it catches on fire. And I'm like, I have fire, just like my friends. Yay, we're all on fire, right? We all have fire, right? And then, but if I don't sustain it, if I don't put things into it, if I, if I don't feel it, eventually it dies out. Doesn't matter who start the fire. Doesn't matter where it came from. Eventually it burns out if I don't do something about it. So often we think passion is something you either have or you don't. A lot of times we think passion is something that's a personality trait. A lot of times we think uh, it's something that uh, it goes away based on our circumstances. We think, oh, I remember when I was passionate. I remember when I was on fire for the Lord. Back in the good old days when I first got saved. Oh, I remember that, right? Or we go to a camp or we go to a conference or we have these crazy encounters or God does a cool testimony and we're all fired up. We're all literally the flame is stoked of our passion and we're like, yeah, this is great. This is awesome. But if we don't keep feeling it, it just starts to die again. And then what we do is we end up comparing a lot of the times. I don't know if you ever do this, but you're sitting there and you're like, how come I'm so not passionate and they are? Right? And you look at people and you see all their gifts, the worship leaders and these people ministering, and you're like, they're so on fire and I'm not. I guess I'm just, you know, I've matured onto a different season now. <laughs> right? I guess I've just grown out of that. Oh, I guess that was just a fad, or I guess that, that wasn't really real. Maybe I never actually had fire. Maybe there, that's it. There was no fire ever in the pit. You're crazy for telling me there was a fire, right? But we do this all the time with passion, right? We do this all the time with our encounters with the Lord. We do this all the time. And then what happens then if people come up to us like, hey, well, you're probably not passionate anymore because you don't read your Bible. Whoa, hey, man, hey, don't tell me I live my life, <laughs> right? Hey, you're probably not passionate because you don't pray ever. The fires probably died because it's there when you step into a place with a bunch of fires, like a conference, and you get ignited. But then when it's time to burn on your own, you're not sustaining it and it dies off. And then we blame the conference or we blame our circumstances and not ourselves for not fueling the fire. Right? And, and then we start to make theology or we start to make reasoning or logic behind this is why my fire is gone. And it's like, well, you, maybe if you prayed, <laughs> maybe if you read, maybe if you worshiped God, you know, maybe if you did these things, you could feel that fire once again. Am I speaking to anyone tonight? Yeah? You ever been there? I've been there all the time. Where you're like, I'm on fire. I'm never going back. A week later, you're like, where'd you go? You know, <laughs> right? Like I have so, so, so been there. Okay. So really guys, and I've had people even almost when I challenged them and said, Hey, cause they've expressed to me like, Oh, I just, I'm not on fire anymore for the Lord. And I say to them, well, Hey, how often do you read your Bible? They say, Oh, it's not my gift to read. You know, I'm not, a, I'm not a reader. You know, how often do you pray? Ah, I prefer reading the Bible. I don't like to pray. You know, hey, how often do you tell someone else about Jesus and evangelize? I'm just not like that kind of a person. How, or you go to the evangelist. How often do you guys pray? I'm not really an intercessor. And they have all these reasons why they're not something else. Okay? And then a lot of times that's not my personality. That's not my temperament, right? 
And you're like, bro, it's not a temperament issue. It's a temperature issue, okay? Like, you need, to, you need to turn up the temperature, man. It has nothing to do with your temperament or your personality, right? Okay? You don't have to earn the fire. You don't have to earn passion, but you have to feed it, okay? You don't have to do anything for God to come into your life, but you have to do things to keep the fire going there. Like, the grace comes. That's free of the Lord, right? But your character comes at a high cost to keep Keep the fire burning within you, okay? It's the free gift, but it costs everything uh, in your life to sustain it and stoke it and to keep building it. Does this make sense, guys? And to say, to say that you need to do something, you need structure in your life. I feel like sometimes as the charismatic church, we're like allergic to the word structure, you know? We like sneeze if someone says there's a rule, you know? And so, but like, we're like, oh, was that legalism? You're like, no, it's wisdom, man. Keep the fire. Keep something to protect the fire inside of you. Otherwise, it'll just burn out. Passion is about character. It's not about your feelings. Do you, see, do you guys see how, how, how this is a character thing? We, ought, we think passion's a feeling thing. We think it's a personality thing. We think it's a them, not me thing. We have excuses for why we're not passionate. But it's a character it's a character issue. Passion isn't a temperament or a personality. It's a choice to daily stoke the fire of your relationship with Jesus. One of the most important character traits I think someone can develop is learning how to keep their passion burning through every season. Right? Winter outside, the fire's still burning in the fireplace. Summer outside, fire is still burning, right? Desert outside, drought, fire inside is still burning, right? No matter what, it's to keep the character trait of keeping my passion alive in and out of every season. That is a beautiful piece of character. I've seen way too many people catch on fire for the Lord and then totally just like tank. And I long to see like a body of Christ that, that, that we, we say, no, 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 in every season, I'm on fire for the Lord. I have kept my passion burning. I went to a school once and there was a, uh, it was a school for ministry. There was this like 70 year old lady at the school and we're like, wow, you're still on fire for the Lord. It was like all like 20 year olds and she's 70, right? And she says, never retire only refire. That's <laughs> what she said. We're like, you're adorable. And that was the deepest thing I've ever heard <laughs> in my life, right? I want to be like you when I'm 70, right? Because she built a character to sustain her passion over the years. It doesn't take character to catch on fire. It doesn't take character to get passionate. You can catch other people's passion just like you can catch their fire. But it takes character to sustain the fire. It takes character to keep the fire. Was your fiery first love of Jesus just a season? Do you wonder why you don't have that like you once did? Passion should be a known character trait inside of you. It should not be a description of when you first got saved. Passionate should never be something that describes when you first got saved, but it fell away. It should describe Christians. They're passionate people. They give Jesus everything they got. Not just, oh, they're on a mountaintop experience with God. They'll come down one day. It's like, no. No, man. 
this church is the summit, right? We live on top, <laughs> okay, right? Like, that's the goal, right? It's not because of God. It's not because of the season you're in. It's not because of circumstances or trials or things like that. It's because of a character flaw. Have you guys ever had someone come up to you and say that they're just in a desert season? Or maybe you've done that, you know? I'm just in a, how many of you heard that? Show of hands. Or maybe you've said that. It's okay. I'll admit it. I've said it. I've totally said it. How are you doing? I'm just in the desert like the Israelites. You know, like I'm just, I'm just in the desert like when Jesus was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Like that's my life, right? It's not a season. I live in the desert, right? And so, and then people just expressing how they're just in the desert season. It's horrible, right? More often than not, they're not in a desert season. Honestly, we've just trained ourselves. We're in this habit of seeing the promised land of God like a desert. A lot of times, the trials didn't go away when the Israelites entered the promised land. They actually had to conquer and fight to secure the promised land. The promised land was free, but they had to fight to keep it. Right? And so a lot of times we, 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 we just say, I'm in a desert. Uh, water. Right? And, and it's like, you're not. Dude, you're not. You're just complaining a lot, <laughs> right? Okay. So anyway, anyway, that was a side note. If we're going to talk about the desert, the, the, the <laughs> so I'll just keep going. Okay. So we're going to talk about that anyway. Okay. So the Israelites, they're in the desert for 40 years. Okay. Okay. They were led into the desert by the Lord. They're in the desert for 40 years. In the desert, they encounter miracles from God. Manna, they eat from heaven. Food appears for them on the ground every single day. They have a fire, a pillar of fire at night that guides them and keeps them warm. That's pretty miraculous. I'm in a desert season. I just have this pillar of fire next to me all the time. You're like, what? Your desert season's better than my promise season. Like this, what, what are you talking about, man? Like, this is incredible. I'm just in the desert, right? They, they are seeing, oh, they see Moses hits a rock and water comes out. Like, what? Right? It, it just, everyone is like, just has food and they, they're all taken care of. It says their shoes never wear out. I go through shoes all the time, right? That would be a great miracle to have. Their shoes never wear out. They are seeing miracle after miracle after miracle. And, and the, the desert was never meant to diminish their passion for God. It was actually the time used to increase their passion and their dependency on God. They went into the desert complaining, right? And, they, and then they go around for 40 years. They come out as conquerors. They went in into the desert season as these slaves and they come out as these people conquering lands like the desert season didn't destroy their passion it increased it it amplified it and they came out on fire for the lord taking taking the nation so if you're gonna tell me you're in a desert season then it's like well cool man you're gonna come out on fire for god this is the season where he builds your fire not when you get to complain right? This is, or maybe you're talking about Jesus in the wilderness. You know, okay, that's true. Jesus did go in the wilderness for 40 days. It says the Holy Spirit guided him into the wilderness. So if you're in a desert season, the Holy Spirit probably took you there, right? He took, he took Jesus there. Why? To once again, connect with them even more. Jesus even fasted. He chose to fast for 40 days to connect even closer with his father. And he comes out and kicks off his whole ministry. The desert season was the foundation that kicked off Jesus' entire ministry. It did not quench his passion. It exploded it. 
So your passion is not determined on the season you're in. It's a character choice you make to say, I'm staying passionate for the Lord, regardless of what season I think I'm in. I'm going to show you guys. A, uh, you guys doing all right? Okay. We're doing a character series, so it's a lot of just right in the gut, right? So, um, but it's all right. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Here we go. This is, I'm going to read you guys one of the weirdest chapters, I think, in the Bible, okay? Turn to Numbers chapter 25. I shared, Dominic said, I'm going to share on this story, and his first reaction was, are you okay? That's a weird story. Okay, go to Numbers 25, okay? So here we go. I'm, I'm totally okay. I really believe this, Lord. I prayed, and I asked God, and this came on my heart, okay? So while the Israelites were camped at the Acacia Grove, okay, just so you know, every translation, it doesn't say it up there because it's the New Living, so it's more paraphrased. Every other translation, the name of the grove is S-H-I-T-T-I-M. It's pronounced Shittan. Shittam. They were, they were living in Shittam, Shittam, okay? Anyway, I've had times where I'm like, I'm camped out there, man. You know, this is horrible, right? So this is what they're living, okay? Anyway, it says, some of the men defiled themselves, okay, by having sexual relations with local Moabite women. These women invited them to attend sacrifices to their gods. So the Israelites feasted with them and worshiped the gods of Moab. In this way, Israel joined in the worship of Baal of Pure, or pure, right? Causing the Lord's anger to blaze against the people. Okay, just to give you some context, okay? So hold on. Give you some context. This is the very end of their desert season. They've been in the desert for 40 years, okay? This is like year 39, okay? Shatam here, okay? Okay, this, this acacia grove place, this is the spot where they end up going and crossing the Jordan River. That's how close they are to getting across to the other side. And this is where they have one of their greatest falls, on the right on the edge of crossing into the promises of God. This happens. And we read it, and we're like, okay, yeah, that's a bummer. These guys, it says these women from the... Um, from, the, from Moab came. These guys basically slept with them, and we're like, wow, yeah, that's okay. I know that's a sin. That's bad, right? No, no, no. This is way even worse, okay? The women of the Moabites, these women, we know, and history tells us, okay, that the, the way they worshiped, it says they invited them to worship their gods, okay? Their god was the god of fertility, and the way they would worship him is by doing orgies, okay? And so here, it's not the men just like, oh, they slept around. They performed worship knowingly to God. And these weren't just women. They were temple prostitutes of Baal. Okay? So these temple prostitutes of Baal come in and pull the men of Israel out and have like this orgy. It's a nasty, gross scene. Okay? This is, this is where we're at. And you're like, how did you fall that far, right? Like, what happened? Okay? This is like, this is really bad. Okay. So we know from context, and we'll go into the next uh, verse in a minute. From context, what happens is that this is so messed up, and it starts destroying the people of Israel and their relationship with God, okay? That it says that he actually sends a plague, and it starts wiping out the people of Israel. And 24,000 people have died in Israel. Why? Because God is wiping out this gross worship of another God. Okay? And he's sending this plague to wipe out. His passion for his people says, I will do whatever it takes to wipe out sin in the camp okay, and get my people to the promised land. And so this is what happens. This is the context. Right? 24,000 people have died now because of this sin. Does this, you guys following me? 
Okay, verse four. The Lord issued the following command to Moses. He says, seize all the ringleaders and execute them before the Lord in broad daylight so his fierce anger will turn away from the people of Israel. Take the guys, the leaders, the people who are heading this thing out, turning the people away, knowingly going against God, knowingly breaking the laws, knowingly taking other people. We have to kill them, get them out of the camp. Like this is God's heart behind that, okay? Verse five, so Moses ordered Israel's judges, each of you must put to death the men under your authority who have joined in the worship of Baal. Okay, so Moses stands up in front of the whole nation, in front of all of the people of Israel, and he's saying, here's the strategy of the Lord. We need to wipe out the sin in the camp so that the plague will stop and we can go over into our promised land. This is where verse six starts. This is crazy. This is a weird story. Here we go. Verse six, just then one of the Israelite men brought a Midianite woman into his tent right before the eyes of Moses and all the people as everyone was weeping at the entrance of the tabernacle. Go back to the previous verse. So what happens here, he's giving an an address to all the nation of Israel saying this is what we have to do for the plague to stop. Literally in front of him and in front of the entire nation, This man, Israelite man, comes walking up with one of the temple prostitute worshipers of Baal, walks in front of the entire country. He's like, oh, hey. Oh, cool. All right. As he's telling them, this is a sin, and this is wrong, and this is killing your people. The dude doesn't even care. And it says, in front of the eyes of all the people, he goes and takes her into his tent. That is so messed up, right? That's like, that is crazy, right? And and he does this, and Moses and all the people, they're just awestruck, like, are you you kidding me? Like, are you serious right now? (laughs) Like, this is insane, right? This is where the sin level of this guy is at, okay? Here we go. Verse seven, there's, here's where the crazy hero of the scene comes. When Phineas, son of Eleazar, and grandson of Aaron the priest saw this, he jumped up and he left the assembly. He took a spear, rushed in after the man into his tent. Phineas thrust the spear all the way through the man's body and into the woman's stomach. So the plague against the Israelites was stopped, but not before 24,000 people had died. What the heck? This is, this is your Bible, okay? This is crazy, okay? So this is insane. So okay, they go in here. There's this moment, okay, so... Phineas is on like the council of people and he watches this happen. Moses himself is dumbfounded. Everyone's like, and Phineas, there's a moment he gets up. It says he gets up and he's like, oh, heck no. Uh, no, like not in my house. <laughs> like, and he just stands up. Give me, give me a spear. Okay, and he grabs a spear and he walks in, opens up their tent, okay? And literally right in the middle of this gross moment, he spears the two of them and kills them right in that moment. I did not learn this in kids' church. Where was the story, right? This is crazy, right? Phineas kills him, and he says that's what ends the plague. Go, Phineas, you're a hero, right? Like, whoa, that's weird. Verse, okay, verse 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, Phineas, son of Eleazar, grandson of Aaron the priest, okay, turn, he has turned my anger away from the Israelites by being as zealous as I had, wait, as I was. 
He says, as zealous among them as I was. This is the only time in the Bible where God says, this man has the same amount of zeal as I do. Do you guys know what the number one synonym of the word zeal is in English? Passion. Full circle, right? He says, God says Phineas is the, this is the only person in the entire Bible that God says he has the same amount of passion as I do. He has the same amount of zeal as I do. This is crazy, guys. Okay. Phineas here has the passion of God. Okay, come on. They're in a desert. They're in the desert season. Their whole life is the desert season here, okay? Okay, they have this plague breaking out. They have horrible things happening. The nation is falling apart. No one knows what to do. They're underneath just discouragement if you've ever seen it. But one man stands up and says, no. And he stirs up his passion inside of him and says, I have to do whatever it takes to kill the compromise in our lives. I have to do whatever it takes. I don't want to. I don't necessarily, like, that's not, that's not maybe Phineas. It wasn't like he was wanting to do that. He was the only one who said, yes, I will summon up passion like God to end this sin in our lives. Phineas goes after anything that separates my connection from the Lord has to be impaled. Like, anything in the way has to fall, Okay. This, oh man, it's wild. Verse 15, jump to verse 15. It says, the woman's name was Cosby, or Cosby. She was the daughter of Zer, the leader of a Midianite clan. So Cosby in Hebrew, it means my lies. My lie, like a lie. So it's telling a lie. That's what her name means. And Midianite in Hebrew means strife. There was a woman named Cosby who is a Midianite. There's a lie that says when strife comes into my life, it's okay to compromise. There's a lie that says when hardship comes, when that desert season comes, there's this lie that comes into us that says, yeah, but it's really hard right now. It's okay if I compromise. I have a lot of strife in my life. I have a lot of hardships. If I told you what was going on, man, you'd understand, right? <laughs> right? There's this lie that says when things are hard, it's okay. And that's, that's when it's okay to compromise. When things were hard, when the Midianites came in, the lie creeped in and they fell from their passion from God. Often this is when we lose our passion is when strife comes in. What happens is when strife comes into our life, hardships, trials, things come into our life and a lie sneaks in. And then that lie slowly but surely works its way through the nation of our heart, works its way through, through our mind. And this lie slowly takes out the passion of God in our life. It's easier to choose this lie a lot of times that's comforting in the strife than it is to choose to stand up and keep your passion on fire even when it's hard. Verse 16, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Attack the Midianites and destroy them. How do you keep 
your passion alive. Point one was this, is attack the Midianites, attack the lies. So often we're on the defense from the devil. So often we're in this place of, oh, but it's so hard for me. My life's so hard. I have so much homework. I have so much work. I have so much pain. I have so, and we're just, we're really trying to say all the reasons why it's okay. I'm not passionate for God anymore. And God says, you know, my strategy is for that. Kill the lies. Destroy the Midianites. Kill the lies. You have to get this attitude that says, no, 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 no. I'm attacking the lies that come against my relationship with the Lord. You have to get this Phineas-like zeal, this Phineas-like passion that says, I'm going to guard my connection with God. And 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 I'll impale anything that comes in the way. You realize that your passion is not dependent upon your season. It's not dependent upon this church. Your passion isn't dependent upon the worship team or dependent even on me as a preacher, right? Your passion, your connection with God has nothing to do with your surroundings. It has to do with you impaling the lies that are creeping in or not, right? Because come on, if you were on fire for God, you could find revelation in anything I said. I could say, Mary had a little lamb, right? Whose fleece was white as snow. That's Jesus, the lamb, right? It doesn't matter. Like if you're passionate for God, you can find him anywhere, right? Right? You're like, oh my gosh, Mary had a lamb of God and his fleece was white as snow. He was, right? Okay. So if you're passionate, you can find God. But when you're filled with so much information and the passion has died and you've let the lies creep in of it's an old season, then you just sit there and you hear a sermon and you're like, man, I've heard better. Or you hear a sermon, you're like, well, I've heard that point before. Maybe God needs to tell you like 30 times, you know, to like get it into my heart. You know, there's times you're like, I've heard this. I've heard the prodigal son story a million times, God. He's like, well, maybe because you got to get it inside of you, man. If you were hungry, if you were passionate, you would get something out of this, right? This is, oh man, you have to go after the things that hurt the passion in your life. You have to build the character to say, I'm choosing to see God in this. I'm choosing to be passionate. I'm choosing this. Even when I don't feel like it, I am choosing to kill the lies in my head that say, I can't learn anything more. I've already heard this story. I can't go further. I've already read this. I can't do, right? I'm too busy, right? Oh, I got too much hardship. Oh, I can't, this, God can't ever heal me. God can't, right? We let these lies come in and it kills our passion. If you used to worship God passionately, but now you don't, uh, no circumstances have changed. A Midianite somehow got into your camp creeped in and began to steal your intimacy away from the Lord. We need to repent, guys. Seriously, we need to summon up our passion again and, we, and choose it day after day. If you're not passionate for God on fire for the Lord, chances are it's, it's because you have a cosby, you have a lie inside of you somewhere that's blocking your connection from God. And tonight, I really just want it to be a night where we can just impale that thing. Just get rid of it and be like, no, 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 no. I'm connecting with God again tonight. Maybe even that Cosby is offense. Maybe something I said or something you saw here in the service tonight or something someone else told you offended you and you're unable to connect with God because there's an offense up. You got to kill that offense and say, okay, 
Maybe I was offended because God's trying to teach me something. Do whatever it takes. Kill the lies. Right? So, in the, book of, uh, in the book of Revelation, there's this moment where Jesus, he actually rebukes this church. He says a bunch of great things about him, how he loves him, how he's proud of him, all this stuff, right? But there's this moment where he says, but I have this against you. It's Revelations 2, 4. He says, I have this against you. You have abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. Think about how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works of love you did at first. You've abandoned what? The passion. The passionate love for God. And he says, yeah, I see all the works. I see all the busyness. I see all the homework. I see, I see how hard you're trying. I'm not, I, this is not a condemning. I don't want to condemn you tonight, right? I, nothing like that. There's no condemnation here. He sees and he validates all the hard work you're doing. As a good father validates the hard work of their child. There's no condemnation here. But as a good dad says, hey, I know you're busy, honey, but I haven't seen you in a long time, and I miss you. Our relationship is more important. You'll get the degree, but our relationship's more important, right? It's a father saying, come back. Restore the passionate love again. The word abandon here that he says to describe what they did, it's a Greek word. It means... Uh, to neglect, to yield up, to let go, let it clear out. I didn't want to put out the fire. I just didn't want to put wood in. No, they're the same thing. Like by choosing to not fuel it, you're letting it die. And it's the same thing with our passion for God. So the second one is how do you, the first one, how do you get this passion? How do you repent of it? How do you keep your passion? Well, first one was attack the lies. Second one comes right from this verse. It says this, point two, repent and do the works of love you did at first. That's all you gotta do. Repent, turn your way, and go back to when you first fell in love with God. What were the things you did at first when you first met Jesus. What were the things? Worship, probably. Prayer, devotion, read the Bible and it came alive. Remembered, testified about the good things God was doing. Told your friends, I just got saved. You know, like told people about an exciting thing God did. These were the works. Do you realize inside of those very works, you have the word of God, you have worship, you have prayer, you have evangelism. You have all the things that are ministry, and you were doing them in your first love naturally just because of your passion for God. And he says, go back to that. Go back to the place where you first met me. Remember, it's a character thing to stir it up and remember daily when you don't feel like it. Say, no, 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 I remember. I, I'm going to fight to keep this passion alive. This is what you got to do. You put down the busyness, return back to your first works of love. Come back to worship. Come back to devotion. Spend time with him. Spend time alone with him. Like I can't emphasize that enough. Spend time alone with him. I care more about your intimacy than I care about you getting that college degree. Yes, I want you to succeed. I want you to do well. But I'd rather your GPA be a little bit lower maybe even. 
to have a surviving, thriving relationship with God, right? I'm all for studying, working hard, but don't do it at the cost of your intimacy with Jesus. Don't let the lies of the excuses of strife come in and knock you out. Passion isn't a feeling. It's a character trait of Jesus. Do you guys know what the original, and I'm, I'm ending on this here, and then we're going to do a thing together to kind of respond. The original definition of the word passion, um, it, it was first, so passion comes from paseo. It's a Latin word, which comes from the Greek word. It's like passet. And what it, what it means is the sufferings of Jesus on the cross. From the Last Supper until the cross. That's what I mean. That's why it's called the Passion of the Christ. The movie, the whole movie is about his passion when he suffered from the Last Supper to the cross. This tells me passion from the birth of the word was a choice of Jesus to endure the hardship to get the intimacy with you. Passion is a character trait. It's a choice. I choose to endure hardship. I choose to go through this stuff to increase my passion, to increase my intimacy, my connection with my Jesus. This tells me it's not based on a personality trait. It's not based on extrovert, introvert. It's not based on being loud. Passionate people aren't loud people. It's just, it's people who, you could be an introvert, you could be quiet and be completely passionate for Jesus. Because it's based on that choice to not let your fire inside die. That is passion. It means consistently choosing Jesus above everything else. Keeping the inner flame going. It means you choose to make time for Jesus before anyone else. You choose to make time for the word of God before anyone else's words. You choose to make time to worship God before you worship entertainment and fun and all these other things of the world, maybe my job or whatever it is. It, it means that we make time to turn to God. It, it's a character trait I will choose daily. I don't care what season I'm in. I'm still passionate for Jesus. So what we're going to do is we're going to take some time uh, to respond. We have about 15 minutes, and we're going uh, to take communion together. We're going to do uh, basically return to the start. Go back, repent, and go back to your first works you did with him. What did you do at first? You received communion. You received the washing of his blood and the breaking of his body, what communion is. It's how you got saved, right? Yeah, so go, guys, go ahead and get that. And what we're going to do is I'm just going to put them right up here, okay? And we'll, we'll dim the lights and we're going to put on some worship music. And I'm going to ask you to come up here when you're ready to say, God, I'm giving you my lies. God, I'm ready to kill that thing. Even when it's hard, I'm ready to impale those lies. Give me your passion again. Restore my first love. Get me back to those works I did at the beginning, God. When you, and, and God, remind me. And the reason I'm saying you need to walk up here is because it's an action on your part. It's not something I can hand you. I'm not going to hand you passion. You got to go after it. And so, so we'll leave it up here. We're going to say, come up here, do that, and then take it. Take communion when you're ready. I'm not going to say, now take the juice, now take, now take the bread. Uh, I'm going to say, and for bread, I think we just have crackers. It's like unleavened bread of Israel. No, it's just, cra it's just crackers. So, but you can make it passionate.
doesn't matter what it is, right? You can make it passionate for the Lord. So come up here. You take it when you're ready. Take it back to where you're at. You can sit down, lie down, worship God, pour your heart out before him. Go back to when you first fell in love. Restore that passion inside of you again. Is that cool? Awesome. So Lord, we love you tonight. God, we ask that you would restore our passion. God, we ask that we would have uh, the character to, to steward the flame in every season, whether it's winter outside or summer outside, that we would keep the fireplace burning, Jesus. That we would keep the fireplace of our hearts on fire, our passion to choose you, God. God, before any other character trait, I ask that we would be marked as a passionate people, even before everything else passion for Jesus, unwavering through every season. We give you this communion time. God, would you connect with us? We love you. Thank you for listening to the Crux Podcast Sermon of the Week. Be sure to visit SummitSanMarcos.com for other exciting content from Summit Church.